Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I am Hallie Sherman, and I'm so excited you are here for another week of jolts of inspiration that you need for your SLP morning. And I am so excited to have on the show Amy Graham. Amy, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Hallie. Thanks for having me. So, why don't you tell everyone who's listening, you know, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I have been in SLP for a little over 20 years. I'm I have a small private practice here in Colorado Springs. I specialize in speech sound disorders. And I've always loved speech sound disorders, but I decided to go ahead and specialize, and that's pretty much all I take now at my practice for probably the last three years, but I've always loved it. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. That's what I do. Uh, my thing right now, I, for the last couple of years, I've been really active actually on Instagram and I post my therapy videos. And so I get a lot of little clips of what I do in therapy every day. And so I found that a lot of SLPs were really curious about seeing real life strategies and methods for SSDs in real life and what it looked like and how to implement maybe phonological, um, you know, strategies or methods and so on. So um, I found that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from that. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. That's awesome. And I love your videos. They're really inspiring. So many times we want to be like a fly on the wall in another speech therapist office or like, Wait, what would you do in this situation? What would you do? I want to see someone else do it. And like you are bringing that to Instagram and it's really Truly awesome. Oh, thanks. So I love it. I, I was surprised at the feedback that I got when I started doing it. And that's, yeah, it's really encouraging to hear from so many SLPs who appreciate it. And in case people are wondering, what age ranges are typically the clients you are working with? So I typically, I see kids starting at the age of three years old. If I get referrals before then, I 
try to refer them as best I can to our free early intervention services in our county, in El Paso County. But once they're three, that's when I start seeing my kids. And that's usually by then, by the time they're three, you can pretty much start to tease out, okay, is this a speech issue or is this a language issue? And so that's when I start seeing kids. But I have teenagers right now that are, you know, working on R's or lisps, Mm. (laughs) you know, maybe have didn't, you know, weren't really into therapy when they were younger and in uh, elementary school and they got dismissed. And now, you know, at 16, they're like, oh, wait, (laughs) I really don't like this anymore. And and then they come see me. So I kind of see from three on up, basically. That's so interesting. And in case someone listening is wondering, because I know I have a lot of, you know, grad students and CFs listening, what would you say would be your one tip if someone's saying, okay, how would you know a three if it's language or Arctic? Well, a thorough evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew the answer. I wanted to see <laughs> I think, And that's hard because, I mean, if you are in a, you know, if you're working like in a school or a preschool or even early intervention services, and, you know, you kind of inherit clients where you haven't necessarily done the assessments, that's where it can get really sticky. And so, you know, sometimes you're just going based on what the previous SLP's goals were. And sometimes I've, I've had paperwork where I didn't, I couldn't even find an evaluation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wondering. And so it isn't always feasible, but if you have any doubt, go back, do an assessment, check off all those boxes as best you can to try to get to the root of what the issue is. That's great advice. That's great advice. And what is your favorite sound to work on? Oh my gosh. I love S's for many reasons. <laughs> when I work with my kids with phonological disorders or delays, S blends are one of the first things I work on because it's so frequently kids are omitting those. And they're usually for kids with phonological deficits, it's pretty easy to elicit and it gives you the most bang for your buck as far as intelligibility goes. So I love S blends for that reason. And I love working on lateral lisps. So that's another reason. I know I'm weird, but I love Someone's it. Someone's got to. Someone's good to be the person that takes <laughs> right. on those cases when all of us in the schools don't want it. And no, I'm just I know. Listen, I know. It's, and it's, I think it's, it's tricky because so many SLPs don't really know how to tackle those because they're very different from your traditional Arctic kit, like an R kid or a frontal list kid. It's totally different the way, at least the way I treat it is. And so I feel like I've kind of stumbled on a really effective method in the way that I treat it. And I, and my, actually, it's kind of the reason I got into the whole profession in the first place is because my sister had a pervasive lateral list. She had therapy for years. And when she was in college and I was in graduate school, she's like, can you help me finally (laughs) get rid of this? Wow. And so we did. We kind of figured it out from a very motoric, mechanical perspective. I'm like, here's what you need to do with your tongue. Now do that. And she just got it in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, that was really fun. And so, yeah, so I've been, I've, ever since then, I've just loved working on kids and even, you know, older teenagers who have lateralists. Who everything hasn't been working and now they're ready to try something new. That's exactly. awesome. So what is your favorite strategy for working on the lateral lisp? So it's my biggest tip that I give to anybody, no matter how you elicit a good S, because most of the kids who come to me with who lateralize, they've been in therapy for years. Yeah. You know, we have these kids in our caseloads for lateral lists. It's like, oh my gosh, it's kind of a little bit better, but it's not crisp. Like you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest tip is to tell those kids, forget everything you've ever learned. We're going to start from scratch. We're not going to work on S anymore. We're going to work on a new sound and we're just going to call it a brand new sound. And for some reason it wipes the slate clean. And so they're not bringing in all this baggage of, well, my tongue is supposed to do this and all that. 
and they told me to do this. And, and so it kind of wipes the slate clean. And then we start from scratch and it kind of allows them to just come at it from a new perspective. And I've had the most success when I tell my kids that like, forget F, forget S, forget everything you've ever learned. We're not going to work on S anymore. We're just going to make a new sound. And it lets them move their tongue in ways that they weren't doing before. And how do you get them to make them move that tongue that way? <laughs> I my, <laughs> I love the phonetic approach. So I use, and I have a whole deck that I developed for Bjorn Speech Publications strictly for lateralization using this method. But we start from the T sound. So a lot of people know, you know, the exploding T, and then you hold it out. So that's where I start from. But when kids think you're working on S, they'll go and they'll just lateralize right mm. after it. And so that's where you're like, oh, remember, we're not doing the S anymore. This is a new sound. And we call it the flat tire sound. So I, I love my best advice is to shape from the T sound, call it something new, whatever you call it. Just tell them we're not doing S and then go from there. And then I have a, you know, a whole method of kind of working through all the, all the different phonemes that may be lateralized. Interesting. And when do you finally bring in the S? Very, very, actually, you know what? I was going to say very late. Sometimes I don't ever bring it in until I, <laughs> until the kids bring it up, like way down the line. I had a kid who fourth or fifth grade and he'd been in therapy f- for a long time. He finally came to see me. And then what I would tell him is every time you see an S, instead of the S sound, put in the flat tire sound. And so it's like, oh, okay. And then he did it and it was easy. And then all of a sudden he looked at me, he's like, wait, that flat tire sound sounds like the way you say S. It just like clicked. You know, you're right. It is. That is how I say the S sound. I just let him, I'm like, I'm not going to bring it up yet. And so that's kind of how I treat it. Like we're not, I'm not calling it the S sound. We're going to replace every time you say the S, I want you to think flat tire sound and do that instead. So you're kind of switching it out in, you know, mentally. I was going to ask a question, but it kind of answered it. Do you switch it up in your own speech when you're working with that student too or no because he said they said that's how you say yes yeah because I don't change the way I'm producing it I'm just trying to get them to produce it like I do they just have to mentally switch off the fact that they're trying to fix their old s and when you're trying to fix that old production you're still like holding on to some aspects of that motor movement for that lateralized s so this kind of gets rid of that okay so now I know what everyone listening is thinking they're saying, okay, so are you doing this the entire session? What do you mean? Doing what in the entire session? Trying to get them to do the flat tire sound. Yeah, usually I can get, I can elicit a perfect S in the first session with that way. So we, we have like a, a hierarchy of what I do. So once we get that S, like the T, that exploding T, we start putting it in TS final words. Mm. So we have little pictures like a bats, cats, hats, boots. And then I'll tell them instead of the S sound, just hold out that T sound to make the flat tire sound. And then we just kind of have a whole hierarchy. Then we go from there to initial S words to different positions of the words. But the whole time, it's a flat tire sound. It's not, we don't call it, you know, I'm, I'm using finger quotes here. We don't call it S anymore. Interesting. I, I'm listening, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm trying to think of what people listening are, are thinking, <laughs> saying like, okay, like, so what's the therapy plan, right? <laughs> so like, but the therapy plan really is just keep trying and keep practicing and keep yeah. motivating that student to keep trying to get that sound. And it is a motor, like I look at it as a motoric issue because they're learning. It's almost similar to the way I do apraxia therapy as far as the targets goes, because they're learning a whole new motor plan for this new sound that we're learning that they have to eventually replace 
that S sound with this new sound. So it's tons and tons and tons of trials, accurate trials. If they're not accurate, we back up to the step before until they can be accurate. I'm a big believer in, you know, don't practice it if it's incorrect. Back up to a level to, that they can be correct or can be accurate. Wow. Okay. So what would be your best tip for someone who's, you know, they have a student on their caseload or in a clinic and they have multiple sound disorders, mm. multiple error sounds. How do you know where to start? Again, you got to back up and do your own. That's what I do is I back up and I do a full evaluation. I'm, I'm looking at their phonemic or their phonetic repertoire. What sounds are in their repertoire? What are their phonological patterns that are going on? Is there a phoneme collapse instead? And so based on that, that can kind of help me decide on what strategies I'm going to use. So if I have a kid who, man, they just have a really small phonemic repertoire, they aren't producing many sounds, then I might consider a multiple oppositions approach because I want to get as many, I want to kind of help them get as many sounds as possible in our sessions. If they have some pretty consistent patterns going on, like if they're gliding and stopping and backing, and then I might do a cycles approach. So it just, I think going back and analyzing what they're actually doing, like what patterns do you see? What is their repertoire? Are they inconsistent in their errors? Because you might have to think about, you know, whether or not CAS is an option. And then you got to do a dynamic motor speech assessment, if that's the case, to kind of tease it out. So it really, it always goes back. I know it's kind of a simplistic answer, but my answer is go back and see if there's anything you missed in the assessment. And it's not just, you know, doing a Goldman Fristo and saying, oh, well, they don't have this sound in this position of the word. It might be a bigger picture. So going and kind of stepping back and seeing what patterns you might see in their speech. Mm -hmm. Not only what are they doing, what are they not doing? What are they doing instead? Exactly. I'll have people ask me like, how do you, I have a kid working on, you know, initial S. And my first question is, well, what is he doing instead of it? Is he stopping it? Is it a blend that he's dropping the S on or is he lisping? Like it just depends on what they're doing instead. Mm -hmm. So you're right. It's going to be a different approach on where you start because you might not want to start in the initial position. Right. Maybe not. Like my kids who um, are fronting, it's way easier to get a K in final position of words. So maybe that's where I'm going to start. So true. So true. Yeah. So interesting. Now, do you have a favorite assessment tool for assessing CAS? Oh, for CAS. You know, it's interesting. I have the DEMS. I haven't had an opportunity to use it yet. I'm kind of waiting for my next (laughs) kiddo that comes across (laughs) where I suspect CAS so I can use it. Jenny Bjorum has a really great one that I've actually used with some of my current kids who've already come to me with the diagnosis. I just want to kind of go and, you know, check things off myself. I think the secret is it's not about the test for CAS. It's about your knowledge and expertise about what CAS is. And it really is more of a descriptive term that describes the type of speech errors the child has. And so, you know, there are very many different, you know, different kind of boxes you can check and go through when you're looking at inconsistencies, vowel errors, voicing errors, those kinds of things, prosody. So you really, you can do a pretty good CAS assessment with the Goldman Fristo. You just have to get many repetitions of the one word so you can see inconsistencies. You have to then kind of, um, with the words getting longer, more syllables to see if more errors or what types of errors happen as, you know, you kind of tax their motor speech system a little bit. So for me, it's not, for CAS anyway, it's not about the test. It's about, you know, what test you have and how can you make it dynamic. That's the big issue with us in the schools. Like I have Goldman Fristo. That's what I got. Yeah. So you can, you can look, I mean, you can use that golden for a Yeah, for sure. 
Mm -hmm. And I also feel that many school SLPs, including myself, don't feel that comfortable and confident in making that diagnosis. Right. Well, it's not a very common, it's not one of the more common speech disorders. And so, yeah, not many kids with CAS may come across your desk, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, you have a a kid with a a lisp or R errors or, you know, phonological patterns. We see those all the time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If I had a dollar for every one of those that came came across my uh, caseload. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. So yeah, I know it, it's, I don't think most SLPs are comfortable, you know, especially if you're more of a generalist where you have to be, you have to treat everything. I mean, it is just, it's overwhelming. You could be a specialist in all these different areas, but you, you know, I mean, you got to treat everything. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> very true. To know everything about everything. And I don't know how you do it. Well, that's why we come to people like you, you know, <laughs> so you can help us understand more about working on those lateral lifts and those things where we're like, not that confident in right you know i would love you to share do you have you ever had any challenging cases where you're like i don't know what to do with this kid hmm you know for me some of the challenging ones are when behaviorally it's hard to reach them hmm. like i have i even have a little one right now who completely shuts down anytime you're kind of like all right that was good now let's get three more trials in because with SSDs it's all about you know repetition and getting your trials and this one just shuts down for me and so i think those are my ch- more challenging ones is when when it takes me a while to figure out how to reach them mm-hmm. and what's motivating for them and some kids it takes longer than others <laughs> Mm-hmm. I have I had one little guy that kicking and screaming literally in speech, and um, it, it took a couple of weeks to figure out. Okay, this is what it's going to take for this one. And he's you know we're absolutely each other's favorite person right now. Like it, oh. it'll only take a, a few maybe a couple of months, but we figured it out. He figured it out. My you know boundaries were very clear, but I I think just figuring out how each individual child is so different and how to reach them is probably it's always my challenge. I think <laughs> totally. And then they had and I'm asking because from the older student club, yeah, older students who were brought to you out of their will, a parent made them come and they're yeah. not motivated yet. What have you have you had those? Oh yeah, I've had those. I've had, especially when it comes to like myofunctional issues and lisps and, you know, tongue thrust, because those, that kind of therapy is very intense and requires a lot of buy-in. And so I had a teenager, a boy who, you know, could not have cared less. And it was, and I, you know, you kind of warn parents like, okay, unless this child and it's not a child anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> this older child, almost an adult is not motivated. It's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I can do the best I can. And we did. And mom wanted to chug ahead and we did. And we got zero progress. So yeah, so much of it, I think, especially with the older ones, don't you think comes down to their motivation? Of and course. They can, I mean, what can you do if they're not yeah. going to take what you do in the therapy room and try to generalize it? You know, I, I have had students who are totally humoring me in my therapy room, but yeah. the, I hear them in the hallway the second they walk out of my room. I'm like, dude, <laughs> what did we just talk about? Like, you haven't even left the hallway. Like, at least turn the corner and then mess up. Like, or come get out on. Of my ears. I don't hear it. <laughs> come on. Like, I know, I know. Been there. And then yeah. the parents are like, why aren't they making progress? I'm like, well, <laughs> they just want to talk and they don't want to think and they don't want to try. And yeah. I only can only do so much in the closet of my therapy room. Exactly. Well, and that's when I have those conversations with the parents, like, and I've had, you know, cause I worked in the schools for many years too. And it was one of those, you know, 
your child is being pulled out of academic instruction to come see me. He doesn't want to see me and it's, we're not getting much of anywhere. So why don't we take a break and then revisit it if, you know, if things change, but you know, you have some parents who just, nope, keep at it. And Mm -hmm. it, it can be so frustrating. For the child and for you. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, oh, my God, this is the longest 30 minutes of my life. Like, <laughs> Totally. And then they're sitting there like, I don't want to do anything you have for me right now. <laughs> it's like, you can dance on the table and I still right. wouldn't care. <laughs> nope. it's, it's not fun. So what would you say to the SLP struggling with remaining positive and that mindset when it takes a little bit longer or you might not get to that student? What would you, what would you say to them on that? Oh, it's hard because even, I mean, I get frustrated and down on myself too, where you're like, man, has this, is this really, am I not doing any good right now? But I think give it some time for one. I know I've, I've posted before about if something's not working after a few months, maybe change your approach, which can be true. I mean, change, you know, if something isn't working, reach out to other SLPs, you know, reach out. That's why I've been loving Instagram so much because I have connected with other SLPs who have different specialties than I have. And so when I have a question on, you know, behavior or fluency, I I like, I know who to call Mm -hmm. and to get their tips. And I always, every time I reach out, I always get two or three tips that never occurred to me. And so I think having not just even, you know, your cohort of graduate, you know, student friends who you kind of keep in contact with, but look out, find mentors in, in the field as well. But it does take timing. So it depends on the on what the disability is too. Like if it's CAS, it can be, you know, slow going. It really can. I think if you can look for those small gains, even a child with CAS, I see improvement. It may not be, you know, hugely generalized right away, but I can see improvement every, every session. So I think, I think that would be my, my tip is just to find some mentors, know who to go to, who to ask questions, and then give yourself a little grace too because we're all, I mean, I'm still learning. I've been doing this over 20 years and I I still learn something new. So give yourself a little grace. I love that. I love that advice. You know, it might not happen in that first session. Yeah. It's okay to try something new. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you failed that student and wasted time. You wouldn't have known it didn't work unless you tried. Right. Absolutely. And really I've surprised myself too, because I, I just recently, I thought, man, I am not picking the right intervention approach for this kid because it doesn't seem to be working. And then I did, um, after every 12 weeks, I do a little probe and oh my gosh, there was improvement. And I I just didn't see it in, in the moment. You know, you don't see it in the moment always, but then when you go back and you kind of do those little speech probes, sometimes you will see improvement there where you didn't think there may have been any. Mm-hmm. So, so true. Do you have any last tips or tricks for someone who is just feeling a little overwhelmed with their SSD cases and not knowing where to start, where to begin, how mm-hmm. to stay motivated themselves? I think pick one thing at a time. It's even in SSD, you know, you think, oh, that's just, you know, one tiny specialty. There's so, it, it's such a broad <laughs> range of, you know, different approaches and different methodologies just in SSDs, just in speech sound disorders. So just pick one thing and give yourself a break and just learn about that one thing. And then when you're ready and you're not overwhelmed and you don't feel like, you know, your cup is running over with too much knowledge, then pick another one thing and learn about that. But there is, there's so much to learn. I think just, you know, baby steps. 
So, so true. And if you haven't already, start following Amy on Instagram and you'll get tons of tips and tricks and ideas and just inspiration that things you wouldn't have thought of, how she's prompting her students, how she her students are responding to her prompts, how she's giving feedback, even like feedback alone, it, it can be huge, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think and that's one of the things to kind of reading the room and learning what the child is going, what you can kind of look at their eyes and see, oh, they're frustrated. Oh, they got this. And you can just kind of read. And, and if I, when I see them start to get frustrated, I either simplify the task or I give them more prompting that they might need. So yeah, it, it, I think just that to me is that's probably maybe my, my another tip is the prompting and the cueing is so much an art than a science learning what the child needs in order to be accurate and get more trials and get more done because they're going to work harder for you if they're not frustrated. And so if, if you can make it easier for them, which is what I tell them, like, if you tell me something, please tell me if it's hard because I can make it easier for you. And I think once you get that trust from the child too, you make so much more, so many more gains in therapy. Oh, so true. And in case I'm sure someone listening wants to know, do you have a tip or trick for collecting data collection with these types of cases? What's your favorite way to document and gather the information? So my, my biggest tip, and I know a lot of people can't do this because the, you know, you're billing Medicaid and you know, it may not be <laughs> the best way, but honestly, I don't take hard data every session because we're so busy actually doing the work. If you are sitting down and you're doing tally marks through your entire session, then you're not doing therapy. You're just taking data. So if you can back off, like if you need to take data every day, then pick 10 words at the beginning of the session do your little probe, get the, you know, 70% accurate, whatever this cue worked, this prompt worked with this percent accuracy, and then move on and do therapy the rest of the session. So don't take a lot of data because then if you're taking data throughout your therapy, you're just seeing how they're responding to your cues. That's not real. Like, how are they doing? How are they generalizing this, this particular goal? So I would say take less data <laughs> if you can, <laughs> and it, it'll be easier for you for the SLP. Mm -hmm. Because it's harder to prompt and probe and pivot and whatever when you're so busy with the tally marks. Exactly. If, you're, if your head is down looking at tally marks, you're not seeing what's going on with the kid. So yeah, I would say take less data, just do it, at, you know, take a minute and that's about it at the beginning of the session and get, get going into therapy. That's so great. So Amy, tell everyone, I'm so inspired by everything you had to say today, but tell everyone where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you? So on my website is www.gramspeechtherapy.com. I have, you know, products that I sell on there. I've started creating boom cards for my lateral lispers that I sell there. I have an amazing oral facial exam that I sell in a bundle on the ThroatScope website. So you can find me all that on my website. But I also, if you want to see and follow my therapy videos, I post the majority of those on Instagram and my Instagram handle is Graham Speech Therapy and it's spelled like the cracker, G-R-A-H-A-M. And I also have a Facebook page as well, but that's, that's primarily where you can uh, find all my information. And every, everything will be in the show notes, so not to worry, guys. <laughs> her website and her Instagram link, so not to worry. Thank you so, so much, Amy, for giving us so much inspiration and things to think about when working with our SSD students and how to have that just positive mindset and just be prepared for whatever comes our way. Well, so, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Okay, so I'm going to end this week with a joke, guys. <laughs> Why do trees try new things so often? Why do you think, Amy? I, I was going to say, I'm trying to come up with one. I, can't, I haven't heard this one. Because every autumn, they turn over a new leaf. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I never said they weren't cheesy jokes, <laughs> but these jokes are great conversation starter and ways to build rapport with your students each session. Every session, I, I have a joke of the week in my therapy room, and it really helps break the ice when they come in the room. It's not like, oh, we're learning. Oh, my God, she's going to make me think. It's we're going to have a little bit of fun today. I so, love that. So thank you so, so much, Amy. And until next week, guys, stay out of trouble. It is no secret that as SLPs, our focus is always on coming up with new and creative ways to engage our students while teaching them practical and meaningful skills so they can lead more productive, communicative lives. It's also no secret that reaching that goal consistently sometimes feels so out of reach. Being bogged down with paperwork, heavy caseloads, and unrealistic demands put on us by admin has our braids ready to explode, leaving us questioning our confidence, suffering from imposter syndrome, and being unsure of our place in a field that we love. That is why I decided to have a little fun and put together a free quiz that digs into the different SLP personalities we find in our amazing and challenging profession. This free 60-second quiz can help you discover which movie character best represents your SLP confidence, so you can begin to reclaim your time and banish overwhelm for all. No matter which result you get, each character embodies unique qualities that highlight the gifts and abilities you bring to your speech students each day. It also tackles the areas your character may need to work on in order to feel 100% confident as an SLP. Plus, I threw in some access to freebies for you. Who doesn't love freebies? So if you are tired of feeling negative, overwhelmed, devoid of confidence, or just want to have a little fun, take the quiz today. Head to speechtimefun.com slash quiz. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys. <laughs>